everybody. Welcome to another episode of Rooster and the Villain. I am happy to have Josh Hakala here today. Josh is the owner, editor, a little bit of everything of thecup.us, which is a website that covers the U.S. Open Cup, and I'm very happy to have him here today. Yeah, I just do it all. Cool. It's really a, a co-founder, senior editor, you know, I yeah, there's not anything on this site that I, I haven't uh, run, so... Well, we're happy to have you. Um, you know, I sent a tweet about finding a historian out there about the U.S. Open Cup. I'm fairly new to U.S. soccer in general. Uh, through the, the birth of my supportership with Maryland Bobcats, I've all of a sudden become very interested in the U.S. Open Cup. Uh, I think a lot of our listeners have come over from, you know, we talked about the Prem for a while, and now as we're migrating more towards lower league soccer, we'll also hopefully become uh, fans of, of lower league soccer. And I, and I think that the U.S. Open Cup coming up is going to be an interesting one just because of all the NISA involvement you see. I think the rise of USL championship, um, you know, especially in the last 10 years, but even more so since the pandemic started, I, I think you're going to maybe see some deep runs, hopefully. So I'm very excited to talk to you, hoping to build some excitement about the cup. But first things first, would you mind just telling uh, our listeners about yourself a little bit? Well, I am a uh, broadcast journalist from, uh, from, I'm in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and uh, I've kind of done a little bit of everything. I do play-by-play announcing, I do, you know, writing, uh, some PR work here and there, a little, little bit of everything. But, um, but we, I, I started the, the site back in 2003. I was kind of a, a lot like you was sort of discovering American soccer. Like I, I was around obviously for the beginnings of major league soccer, but you know, when I started following it, like the internet was very young. And so we really only had like box scores in USA today to like follow, the, follow the league. And uh, unless you wanted to make a drive to Columbus, which was about, uh, I think it was like four and a half hours from where I live. So uh, it was a bit of a hike. So I, I was just getting into it, and I just kind of discovered the U.S. Open Cup through a message board, really. And, and I, I got introduced to it, and I'm like, well, this is amazing. Why isn't this a thing? And sure enough, it, it wasn't a thing, and I was very disappointed by that. So I was like, how can we, how can we change that? So we, we started a radio show uh, to talk about American soccer, and then it kind of uh, – we – covered the open cup. And then from there, we kind of just expanded our coverage of the tournament because sort of made it more narrow in covering the tournament because it just seemed like a big need for our, uh, in our American soccer landscape. So did you have an interest in soccer prior to 2003? Yeah. Yeah. I was, I mean, I was following the, you know, major league soccer and some of the lower leagues and, and some of the local leagues in here in Michigan. And, and so I, I had interest in it, but it was, it was kind of like a, it was in 1999 when the uh, then known as the Mid Michigan Bucks hosted the Tampa Bay Mutiny at a middle school in Saginaw, Michigan, and I was I, I was so confused by this idea. Like, why would a major league soccer team come to like a city in Michigan to play an amateur team? That sounds ridiculous. Like, and I was like, what's an exhibition game? And they're like, no, no, it's a knockout. It's like the FA Cup, and I'm like we have one of those. <laughs> I, was just, I was so blown away by this. And, and so, um, so I went up there and I watched a, a fairly strong, like mutiny team uh, play the bucks, which are just you know, amateur college players. And, uh, and I was sitting 
uh, probably like two feet from the sideline because it, it was like an overflow crowd of this tiny like soccer field in uh, in Saginaw and uh, and I you know I saw Carlos Valderrama and Steve Ralston and and these uh, these big name players for the mutiny playing against uh, the college college players and hey, and the college kids gave them a run it was only a two one game so, you know the the mutiny ended up winning and uh, but it was it was a pretty fantastic experience and just I was kind of in love with it from there and and trying to figure out like why isn't this a thing? And I'm still kind of asking, why isn't this a thing? Yeah. And I don't know whether it's because I'm immersed in soccer culture now, but I'm hoping it's going to blow up now with, with the emergence of some of these lower leagues. And and I do think going back to 2003, it was an interesting time in the U S soccer landscape, just because you said the team was made up of soccer of of college kids. And that's just completely unsurprising because there just wasn't a lot of options for them to turn pro at, at, at that point. So yeah. in, in two, 2003, what was the soccer landscape at the time? Did MLS, as far as I can tell, MLS teams have kind of dominated the tournament with the since the league's inception, with the exception of 1999 with the Rochester Rhinos. But I mean, wh- how has the tournament changed since 2003? Like, what was it like in 2003? It was it was uh, it was a little dicey because there were a lot of things like uh, we didn't have travel restrictions like uh, like they they didn't come up with that until later which I'm not sure why it took so long to do um, it, we had games I think as late as uh, I want to say 2008 where the a team from Tacoma had to fly to Harris an amateur team from Tacoma Washington had to fly to Harrisburg Pennsylvania to play a game and I mean they there weren't nowadays they try to minimize the travel a little bit by trying to get, you know, teams to, you know, they group the teams together and just at least do their best to, you know, minimize travel. And, uh, you know, on a Tuesday night, it's kind of rough to make a big, you know, flight across the country for a lot of these minor league teams. So, um, it, that has changed. Uh, the information is obviously the internet has changed everything, obviously, but the, the biggest change I, covering the tournament was very difficult back then. And it's so so weird to say back then when you're talking about 2003, it doesn't seem like that long ago, but there were games, especially in the early rounds where we would cover, we we, we would try to get reporters out to every game. Nowadays, we definitely have reporters out at every game, but like back then we were still trying to piece this together. And we had a game where the only contact I had was the coach. He was the only phone number I could get to find out what happened with the game so that we could write up a little story about it on the website. And <laughs> the game was supposed to take place on whatever day it was. And then I called them right afterwards to try to get, you know, a report, what happened, what the score was. And he never called me back. Oh. <laughs> next day, we get into the next day and I'm still calling him. I'm like, you know, Hey, uh, you know, what's going on? Leaving him messages, nothing. Uh, we didn't get the result of that game until like two days after the game happened, which it makes it sound so ancient, but this is really 2003. Uh, the reason why he was not calling me back was because he, um, his team lost. They got upset and he was upset about that. And so he didn't want to talk about it and he didn't want to publicize that his team lost. So um, that That's was hilarious that he was capable of doing that for two days. 
yeah, he just, he shut me out for two days. And uh, I, I think I eventually like got the information from someone else. Um, uh, you know, after I gave up on the coach, I, I, I'm not even sure who I called, but I, I, I might've called like somebody with the league that they were a part of or something, uh, which I probably should have done initially, but you know, this is very early days. So, uh, so yeah, the, things like that information sharing has changed. The teams have changed. The quality of the teams have changed. Um, it, how, how do you get credentials? Do you go through the individual teams themselves? Or is there yeah. USSF have like a central organizing? No, you just, you just reach out to the teams and we, you know, we, we, we try to track down a local writer reporter, you know, in every city we're still trying to, we, we still do the same thing today. We, we just look for somebody, you know, obviously like a local newspaper, they're probably covering the game themselves, but like try to find like an independent writer or, uh, reporters so we have a pretty good writers roster um but there are some 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 spots where we we do not have anybody in uh i think it's hattiesburg mississippi uh we do not have anybody down there so if anybody is listening from mississippi and wants to drive down there to cover the game let me know but uh yeah it, it's it, it's tough to to find people sometimes but uh but we we make it work that's that's kind of how it goes so, so the site looks, I mean, your Twitter account, you've got tw- almost 20,000 followers. I, I, I think personally, the tournament's going to get more and more popular. I mean, what, what do you, what do you think? What, what is your take on, on the current era of the tournament? You, you said you're optimistic about it. Like, yeah, wow. No, I, I, I really, I, I've never been one to just, yeah, I, I'm very realistic about it. I, I know that it obviously is not the top tier thing in in the american sporting landscape but what i will say is that it's been around for 106 years and it's never had a peak so like the fa cup you could say has had its peak it is it, it, it used to be the event it used to be the big everybody drops everything and watches the fa cup final watches the fa cup in general not to say that they don't but it it definitely has come down a notch in, in the list of priorities for, uh, for English soccer fans. So for us, like it's been around 106 years, even in its glory days, like the twenties and thirties, it's never had a peak. Like it's never been mainstream. And while I don't think that it's going to reach like March madness levels or anything like that, I feel like it could be a very like big sort of niche sporting event that people would tune in or if it was marketed properly, if they, if they made it more accessible to people. And I, I think that it could, I mean, I always tell people about like use baseball as an example. Like if you're not a soccer fan, I just use baseball as an example. And so for here in Michigan, I could say to somebody who's not a soccer fan, like, okay, imagine there was a March madness style tournament and the Lansing Lugnuts, our single a team could be in a single elimination tournament. And if they made it far enough, they could play against the New York Yankees or the Detroit Tigers. And then you could even, you could take that a step further and you could say, well, actually scrap the single A team because the single A team is their professionals. They get paid. They're, they're professional baseball players. But what about your local beer league team? Like those guys, if they made it far enough, could play against, you know, the New York Yankees. So I, I think that that kind of strikes a chord with almost anybody that I've told this to, even the most like anti-soccer people are like, yeah, it's soccer, but that sounds cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it, it, it's got everything that you need. It, it's got the underdog stories. It's got, you know, matchups you don't get to see. 
Um, yeah, yeah, the David versus Goliath matchup is is the best. Like, I think that's why we like uh, we like March Madness so much, and 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 why we love underdogs. So, and it's got plenty of that. How does the home field uh, work? I, I was trying to figure that out when I was when I was looking it up, and I couldn't quite figure out who hosted. And you mentioned earlier that a, you know an amateur squad hosted the mutiny in Michigan. How does that work? It used to work. The way it used to work it was a little bit on the shady side. So it was uh, you basically would just bid, like it would be a blind bidding process. So you would. You know, so so if you so you have Maryland and I'm the the you know the Michigan Bucks or they're the Flint City Bucks now. So if this was 2003, you would say, well, I, I want to host, but maybe not that much. So maybe I'll I'll put like a five thousand dollar bid. You know, base it on you know how much how many tickets would I sell? Like you know you factor in your bid, and then the Bucks are like, well, that's a pro team. I bet we could probably get a lot of people. So I'll bid 10,000 and you send it into the Federation and then whoever bid the most gets the host. Interesting. And that's how it, that's how it used to work. Um, that got really, I mean, it's, it's not a transparent process. It never was. So it was like, there were a lot of uh, hurt feelings in a, in a lot of these situations. Nowadays you basically apply to host. So if you're, you know, so you're Maryland and I'm the box, like, we would both apply to host you, you know, you know, your field dimensions, uh, you know, seating tickets, like all, all, all the information you need to know, like what you, how well you would put on a, a good event. And, sure. and if you are accepted and we're both accepted, then they flip a coin and, and see, but if like one team, my field's too small and you know, yours isn't. So then obviously the, the team with the bigger field would get it. So you just have to meet all the minimum criteria and then they, they figure it out from them. Interesting. Yeah. Cause I always love those FA cup matchups. Like when Tottenham played Marine, they had those townhouses lined up and I can imagine from a Bobcats perspective to, to host is way more important and way more of a draw. Like let's say they draw DC yeah. United in the third round. DC United says we'll host. No one's going to go down to Audi field. Uh, That's a DC United fan, but you'll see, everyone packing at the soccer plex for the Bobcats play to see DC United take on the Bobcats. So it's nice. Um, it's nice. They got away from the bidding process, I guess. That's a, that's a, yeah, fun. it was, it, it was really, it was really nice. We, we, we did a, a story about it and, and back then and, and trying to explain it to people and, and people who maybe were not like really intense soccer fans, like casual fans, really, like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like why? Like, cause like DC United, I, I don't have it in front of me, but I think off the top of my head, I think they hosted like 17 straight open cup games because they would just, they would just outbid everybody. And, uh, because to them, it was, while there's a cost to hosting, you know, you have to rent, you know, oftentimes have to rent a field or if you own your own field, obviously that's easier, but it, it was, it was worth it to them to not have to travel in the middle of the week. So to that sense. priority on it and they hosted a lot. So, or some teams would uh, draw big crowds and so they know we'll make the money. So let's put in a big bid. And so like Seattle hosted a lot of home and had a lot of home games. Since you've been covering in 2003, what's your sense of how important MLS teams place this tournament? Cause I, I do find it interesting now that they get a CONCACAF champions league spot for winning it. And you do see the clubs promoting their U S open cup victories a lot. So what's your sense of how important it is to MLS clubs? Gotten better. Um, I feel like that is kind of a knee jerk reaction to a lot of maybe 
Scott and like soccer skeptics. Um, they, they just like poo poo major league soccer's participation in it because they feel like they, you know, there have been plenty of examples over the years where they, they put out like a B squad, you know, and, and, and you don't know what type of team you're going to put out there, but I've always, I mean, with, there have been some glaring examples of teams clearly not caring at all about the result of the game and like throwing out like, you know, basically an under 23 team or something that has happened. But you also have to factor in the, like, it's all about roster management. Like if you, if you had a game on Saturday and you got another game on Friday and or another Saturday, and you got a game that you have to travel for in the middle of the week, like you're going to obviously make some roster adjustments. Mm-hmm. And basically, if you're a major league soccer team, you should big, big should there be able to beat a, a lower division team with your B squad, if you will, like, or, or with a, scattering of of you know reserve players and and starters so i feel like most teams take it pretty seriously but they're also realistic about it either they're not not trying to like go for broke when they play against for lack of a better example the maryland bobcats rather than the seattle sounders so it's i think most coaches are pretty I would say they're pretty conservative about it. Like as far as their rosters go, but I feel it's gotten so much better. I mean, it, it used to be, I mean, we had that one year in, uh, I think it was 2006. I can't remember what year it was, but it was, uh, the Metro stars, uh, Red Bulls or whatever they were at the time. They, uh, they played against the Chicago fire in the quarterfinals. So we're not even talking about early rounds. We're talking about like, you're into the tournament. You're a couple wins away from, from winning the thing. And not only did the coach of the team not show up for the game, he stayed home. He left his entire coaching staff home and sent Mike Petke, who was at the time, I think in charge of like the youth Academy or uh, he didn't really have like, if, if I remember correctly, didn't have like a, a team or a position in the actual coaching staff for the, the, for the team, for the senior team. So he was in charge. Obviously he's turned out to be a pretty good manager, but at the time didn't have the experience. So they sent Mike Petke and a group of players who I believe between two of them had 10 starts. The rest of them had none. Wow. And they got smoked four to nothing. And I was like, that was like the worst example. That was like the example people will bring up. If you're like, see major league soccer teams don't care. And like, well, they definitely didn't care that day. Sure. I'll give you that. But for the most part, I feel like most, most teams, they, they, they do a pretty good job of balancing their, their roster. They also don't want to lose to an, a, a lower division team either. So sure, yeah. some teams have paid the price for it. Although uh, on the flip side, some teams have actually started very strong rosters and lost. So uh, a, a great example is the, uh, when Chivas USA, the major league soccer team, uh, played against Dallas Roma FC, an amateur team from Dallas. They, you know, were really good amateur team, but it's an amateur team. And they, and, and Dallas Roma like beat them in penalty kicks. Granted, Ante Razov got sent off. And so they were shorthanded. I'll give you that. You never but, know what happens. So that's the beauty of the cup. That's right what, yeah. And, and, and Chivas USA started a pretty strong roster that day. And you know what? It was just, Dallas Roma's day. And so that's one of the few 
uh, situations where an amateur team has beaten a major league soccer team, but it, it, it does happen. So since we're talking amateur teams, I, I did notice that recently, maybe Lansdowne Yonkers in 2016 made a made a third round appearance. But are there any other amateur are there any other amateur squads that stick out to you at any point in the history that, that you would like to call attention to? Well, I mean, I think everybody remembers Cal FC in 2012 beating the Portland Timbers on the road. I think that is the, that is the most recent. Like that, actually that 2012 tournament was amazing. If you were, if you were looking for an advertisement for the open cup, 2012 was the year for you. Cause not only did Cal FC beat Portland and beat the Portland Timbers on the road, but that same day, the Michigan bucks beat the Chicago fire. They only did it, you know, at home, but either way, yeah. yeah. <laughs> It was like two ups. So it's like the Cal FC one gets, gets uh, all the credit for the, uh, you know, for the big upset. And, but like, like, Hey, don't forget there was another one that day too. And it was actually the second time that, uh, that the bucks had beaten a major league soccer team. They're the only uh, amateur team that has done it. Uh, that has beaten two. Um, they actually went to Foxborough at the old Foxborough stadium uh, and beat the revolution in 2000. I think, yeah, 2000. So, um, so it's anything can happen with it. And I, I think those, those are some of the more notable ones that, I mean, I, I think the Cal FC one got the most attention, not only because it was uh, the most recent one, but also with Eric Ronaldo as the head coach, like that team was already getting a little bit of attention. They had already upset a pro team on their way to the, the third round. So, uh, but unfortunately the run ended. They actually put it on Fox soccer channel. The second game uh, after they upset the timbers and only, you know, the 500 people who showed up to watch the game and I don't, there wasn't a live stream. So very few people actually saw that game. And then they put the second game, then the next round game where they played the Seattle Sounders uh, on Fox soccer channel and they got beat five to nothing, but uh, be weird for them to walk into to the regular Monday jobs and say, yeah, we just beat the Portland Timbers. <laughs> yeah, no, there's a lot of things like that. The uh, amateur teams. Uh, in fact, what I like to point out to people when um, talking about that Dallas Roma game, which we, we wrote a story about uh, a couple of years ago. Um, the, they played Chivas USA. They beat them in penalty kicks. Their reward was to play the Gal- the LA Galaxy in the next round, which was no, they were, they were very good that year. And it was, and I was like, Hey, you know, maybe there's a chance. And then the starting goalkeeper for Dallas Roma, his wife went into labor and he couldn't make the game. And he was like a big reason why they had even to that point in the first place. And he, you know, obviously the penalty kick shootout against Chivas and like, he was, he, he was like, he was the man. And, uh, I, I, I often wonder if he like uh, reminds his kid, I don't know, however many years later it's been like, he's probably, he's a teenager by now. Uh, like, Hey, you know, yeah, maybe could have beat the galaxy if uh, you wouldn't have come out that day. So he, it, it was only two to nothing. Uh, the, the goalie they, they put in, in his place was well over 40 huh. and, uh, as somebody who is just slightly over 40 I can't even imagine playing against the LA galaxy as a, as a, like I, I, he might've been like 45 or something. I mean, it was like pretty, pretty up there. Amazing. Yeah. I'm 34 and he, now and I've played co-ed against 18 year olds and I'm just, I'm, I don't have it. You know, it's not, it's yeah. not there anymore. 
Yeah, for sure. No, it, it, so it's one of those big what ifs. Like it, it was not a dominant. Like the, the galaxy didn't roll them. Like it was. It was two to nothing. And I remember one of them was kind of a. Big, it was the goalkeeper's fault, if I recall correctly. So I don't want to blame the old guy, but you know, it's like a sixty-year-old man. <laughs> I know. Yeah, he's yeah. He, but he had a good pro career. He was a, he was a former pro, like uh, in South America, and so I mean, he had credentials. He just you know. Not the same as the young, the, the young up and coming goalkeeper that got you there. So who knows what could have happened? Yeah. So I find it kind of interesting that this tournament has run the entire history of, of us soccer, which is out, you know, American soccer league. And then I, I was reading about these dark age periods when NASL <laughs> collapsed in the eighties and it was before MLS came around in the nineties was, was, is it your sense the tournament lost some steam during that that era or was it still going oh, strong i i, I call it the, and the, the players and coaches who were part of those teams in the in the 70s and 80s and early 90s hate when i say this but yeah it was definitely the dark ages of the tournament because it was basically so, like the other the other sports had established themselves by the late 70s and so by the time we got to the late 70s and then the NASL was in full gear. And if you were going to use up any space in the, in the newspaper to cover soccer, it was going to be the NASL. And so the open cup really took a backseat, especially since the NASL didn't participate. So since they weren't involved, there was like, nobody knew who these like random amateur teams were, these like very obscure semi-pro teams. So they, it really just fell off the map. So we actually, you know, we've been, I've been researching this tournament, you know, since we started this and trying to gather all the results. I actually don't have all the results of the tournament. You would think like the scores, I'd at least have the scores. I don't, like I don't have all the scores of the games in, you know, there's a big gap in the, in the seventies and especially the eighties, the eighties is just nothing. It's really hard to find information about the, the tournament in the eighties. So, um, so it, it just went, uh, went dark really. Like there were just so there, like a, nobody in the media was covering it. It, it definitely wasn't national. So you really kind of depended on local media outlets, maybe to, to throw like a little summary into the local paper, but that was, that was about it. So interesting. Interesting. I wonder NASL if you not taking part. the libraries and looked at all those, uh, old newspaper articles, if you'd find some stuff in there. Yeah, I, I was reading about the. Like, it's hard for me to fathom the popularity of NASL in the '70s and '80s, but apparently it was fairly large, right? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, the fact that they didn't take part uh, really torpedoed the tournament. Like, I, I feel like, I, from their perspective, I sort of understand. I mean, like, you know, you've got these high-priced players that you just brought in, many of them from overseas. Like, did you really want to put them on the same field as you know? a scrappy amateur the bartender. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously some of these amateur teams are very good, but like to them, I mean, it's the difference of like, you know, you get Beckenbauer against, you know, the, you know, Joe, the plumber. And then, uh, and they could, he could hurt your prized uh, soccer star that you just paid a lot of money for. Um, and there, so there was some risk involved and, and I, and I guess, you know, it's a, it's a story that we're gonna we're gonna dive into uh, in the future about, about what exactly what I mean. And we've heard from various people as to why. You know, and it basically was like the league and the and the players and the teams just didn't 
take it to didn't see it as worthwhile, I guess sure. it was how they, and at the time, I mean, it's hard to argue that it was kind of, it was way under the radar and, uh, NASL was the thing. And, you know, if you put the, uh, you know, the New York cosmos up against the Philadelphia Ukrainians, like it's, it, it's not going to make a lot of headlines, you know, unless they lose. And then, then that's the only way that you'd hear about it. So it was, uh, it was a tough era for the tournament, but I think as soon as major league soccer started up and, and the pro team started to come back to the tournament in mass, like it, did they it, embrace it early on in the, you know, early 1996, 1995, when the league was just establishing them. It's I mean, there were only like 16 games in the, in 1996. So like a very small tournament. And so, but there were teams who opted out, you know, because they had other, they, they cited fixture congestion, you know, which seems silly today because since there's so much on the calendar today, but, uh, but back then, you know, they, if they were playing in the, you know, on the champions cup or something like they were like, Hey, we got, we got other things to do. So, the, but I, I feel like most teams, I mean, they were trying to win a trophy. So I, I but there, it wasn't that big of a commitment. You know, you could win four games and win a trophy. So, so it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't I mean, it's not that many trophies to go around. You have the, two supporter shields and then the MLS cup and U S yeah. open cup. Are those the four and American? Well, I mean, you, you, the, the champions cup is the other, the other major or the champions league now, but, uh, but yeah, th- those are like the four majors right there. So that was, uh, but we haven't won one of those champions leagues in a while. So no, we, yeah. And I do, I love that that champ, uh, CONCACAF champions league spot gets a, 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 you know, chance in the club world cup. And now I think you're even seeing European teams, making that somewhat of a priority and it's cool to see Palmeiras play against Chelsea. And I can't yeah. imagine how cool it would be to see one of these remaining CONCACAF champions league teams to go up against one of the European powers. It'd be awesome. Imagine Bruce arena. I think that was a huge, that was a huge uh, addition to the tournament when they, when they added a champions league spot, I, I think, I mean the, the prize money, I mean, let's be honest. Okay. It's nothing. It's, it's not life changing. It's not franchise altering, you know, like, I mean, once you split it up between the players, which is usually what they do, I mean, it, it, it's not a lot. So uh, I, I feel like that's been, that was always the, the thing that people would suggest. They'd be like, well, it's just make the prize money a million dollars, which, you know, it's easier said than done. It's not your money. So yeah, <laughs> but yeah. that, I don't think that that actually would make as big of a difference unless it was some absurd amount of money. But, um, in when they made the champions league spot, something to play for, I feel like that changed things a bit. What, what year did that happen? In, oh, geez. What was that? Um, 2012, I want to say, yeah, it, no, no, no. It, I don't know. I'd have to look that up. I, off the top of my head, I don't remember. I'm bad with years. I, I, I depend a lot more on my spreadsheets with okay. all the stats and everything than, uh, than I, than I come off as, but I mean, there's a lot of years to keep track of. So, <laughs> Oh yeah, no, it is. It's a lot. I, I do remember that they added Lamar Hunt's name in, in 1999 to, to the, to the tournament. And obviously I remember that just because I, I went to the 99 final and obviously the Rhinos won it that year, which was you know, very memorable things like that stick out. But, but no, it really, when they added the, the champions league spot, I mean, that gave you a, like a tangible reward for the tournament and, uh, and they've stuck with it and they're going to, I would have, they were going to keep sticking with it. And I, it's a, it's a great, uh, reward. So I, I think it, it adds to, adds to the tournament and, you know, obviously the prize money is nice. You know, maybe take your family on a little vacation, call it good. No one ever hates 
getting a little extra cash. No, I'm sure. no. <laughs> so for this year, ESPN Plus is is picking it up a, a little bit. I saw. Is that new? Is it? Um, and you can only get a certain <laughs> amount of games. Is that right? Well, this year, actually, this is the last year of the deal. They they've been doing this the last uh, three or four years. So this is the last year for that deal. And it's, you know, obviously going forward, it's going to be on different streaming. They haven't announced what the future will hold. But for this year, I think since the tournament has grown since they started this, uh, this contract, I, I want to say it was a five-year contract, but I, I might be four. But, they, uh, but when they signed that, the tournament has gotten bigger since then. So I think this year they've got, it's gotten a, a little more difficult because, I mean, with so many games going on in the first in the early rounds i I, just logistically sounds like a nightmare to broadcast all of those games many of them on the same night we have to cover it and i just i love this tournament Uh, the covering of it is very difficult (laughs) yeah i mean it's a labor of love too that's always and with two kids and a full-time job it yeah, yeah. that kind of stuff can take it back we we, we have a lot our house is turned upside down when this tournament starts but yeah, it's a lot like this year. What do we got? 31 games in round two, um, 16 in the first round. That's manageable. That's okay. Cut up between two days. Easy, but 31 games over, over three days. Like that's a lot. Um, so broadcasting wise, that's just us covering it with a reporter, uh, you know, on site and, and covering the game. And then us, you know, right. You know, editing the recap, posting it, getting it out there. But with broadcasting, like as somebody who, broadcast like that is a lot that's a, that's a lot to deal with and and so i can imagine they would maybe balk at the idea of doing every single game when there's like 102 games over the course of the tournament yeah i mean that makes fantastic sense for me it's Most of them. To, to sit here in my basement and be like why don't you have every game but yeah right yeah details, so yeah. I mean, 31 different producers that you have to recruit and 31 different camera crews and then broadcast teams. And like, yeah, it's a lot. So I get it. Um, but they hopefully, you know, with 102 games, I mean, that's, I'm not going to fault them for not being able to do every, I mean, it's going to be almost every single one. Uh, they just haven't the details yet, but um, I, I don't know how many will be put on other services or, you know, but we'll see. But I, I think the vast, vast majority will be on. So can you talk about some of, so we had two years off here with uh, COVID. Can you talk about some of the changes that have occurred post pandemic? Have there been many changes to the format? Yeah. I mean, I think that they, they have definitely like tried to, I mean, I really, I, if any silver lining came with the tournament getting canceled for the first time ever, um, it would be that they, they really like took a, a deep breath and like, you know, sat back and thought like, what could we, you know, what could we do? Um, I mean, they, they didn't do like drastic differences. I mean, um, there's like a new hosting fee that they added to the third, a lot, a lot of like behind the scenes stuff, like nothing that I don't think you're going to see, you're, you're like really going to notice um, the travel reimbursements, which has increased over the years that went up Um I think that's, I mean, that's huge for these smaller clubs, like to, sure. to, to travel, even if they don't travel. I mean, even if it's like five or six hours, like that's still like a, it's a lot you now for, for a team, but especially if you have to fly. Um, so, um, but also like player eligibility, like in, in like, co teams used to be limited to five international players. 
on the game day roster, but then they got rid of that, which is just one less headache to deal with. And, and I feel like it's not really a thing that teams are taking advantage of. So I, I feel like they, they kind of just figured let's, let's just not deal with that. Yeah. Just one more headache <laughs> to avoid with really. that. Couple, yeah. It's, it's a lot. And then also just like the, the federation has to like manage all these players, you know, player registrations and everything. It just seemed like a lot to deal with for, for what, uh, like a minimal impact on the tournament. So, so there have been some changes, but nothing, nothing super dramatic that you're going to notice on the field. Gotcha. So what are you looking forward to with the, this year's tournament? Do you think any of the lower leagues have a, have a shot? You know, it's really hard. I, I'm, I'm terrible about predictions because I do. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's hard to do, but also maybe more so in this tournament because especially early on, now that they've moved the tournament back to March, it is a huge difference in the, like, where teams are at. And, like, especially these amateur teams who are now, um, like, like, USL League 2 teams and MPSL teams, they have to use players that are not college players. They can't use college players because it starts too early. They can't use college players until May. Basically like most amateur teams are eliminated by the time we get to May. So that, I mean, I don't know what these teams are going to put out, like what the rosters they're going to have. Um, I, I mean, I've talked to a few of the amateur teams that are out there. They're basically just like piecing teams together. Like not all of them are year round teams. So it's almost impossible to like figure out who is going to make a big splash, especially from the, like the really lower team, like the amateur teams. Um, I know that like, I know Eric, when is involved, it go back to him Las a little Vegas bit. Lights or, yeah. Yeah. The Las Vegas legends are, are in it. Uh-huh. And I know that his ability to recruit just his name alone is, is, is going to draw some players and they basically don't have roster restrictions because you can just, as long as you're willing to fill out the amateur reinstatement form. So if you're a pro player, I mean, in theory, like if, uh, Chris Dempsey, oh, like, or, or, yeah, or maybe more realistically, like Clint Dempsey, um, wanted to play for the Las Vegas legends or the ocean city nor'easters or whoever, like all they have to do is sign this form that like makes like, it's amateur reinstatement form. So you basically are signing that you are not being paid to play soccer. You are officially an amateur player and Clint Dempsey could very well do that. I'm sure he could still run around a little bit. I, I think he's got some broadcasting duties the night. Yeah. Before. Yeah. He's on the, uh, he's on the paramount team. I, I think I can't say I, I, I would be lying if I didn't uh, say I didn't look that up just to <laughs> like, you know, he, he would be a nice addition to, uh, to a team. How but, cool would it be if like the 2002 World Cup team got the band back together for a, for a run? Yeah. So I'm actually confused. I've been waiting. Yeah, it could happen. I'm confused at how the amateur teams sprinkle into the tournaments because I'm seeing second round here. Nisa is playing, you know, USLC or USLC is playing USL one or NPSL. Like how do the amateur teams sprinkle in here? Well, all of the amateur teams are in the first round and then the pro teams jump in in the second round. And so you're, you're only going to get, I think so 16. So only eight of them are going to come out of the first round. Um, so that's, I mean, 
it gets complicated with the, the pro leagues. Uh, it used to be like they would stagger entries. Like you'd get the USL league one would jump in in one round, then USL championship in the next round. And, but now it's just kind of like, they kind of throw all of them in there. So like in the second round, you've got the six, uh, the, the 16 round win round one winners that out of those, so you have 16 amateur teams moving on and 23 division three teams. So like 10 NISA and like 11 USL league one, and then two MLS next pro teams. And then you've got 23 USL championship league. So that's why the second round is so huge. Cause you're adding all those teams and they basically just divided them by, you know, region and they regionalized it and tried to minimize travel. That's why you get you know, Michigan stars are playing Detroit city, you know, based on one same city, you know? So a lot of matchups like that. Are, are happening. So, um, and then, you know, in the, in the third round, this is the one thing that maybe changed a little bit because there's just too many MLS teams and too many pro teams really is now 17 MLS teams will join in the third round. And then the, they like seeded them. And then the eight highest MLS teams will join in the fourth round. Was it so seeded it, by last year's finishes? Yeah. So uh, like last, uh, what they used to do, they used to just throw them all in in one round, but now it's just, you got to make the numbers work and the matchups and the rounds. And, and, and so it's, it's a big, a big equation to, to work out. So, so they, they had to divide up the, uh, the MLS teams to try to get this all to work out. And I think that makes sense. You know, you maybe reward the MLS teams for, you know, having a better season. And I, and I do want to address this. Like I, people always complain that they're like, we should just have everybody start in round one. Well, that sounds like a great idea. However, I would just point out that like no one else, almost nobody else does that. Like, I think the, I think the German cup is the only, or it's definitely the German cup, but I, I, there might be one other that starts everybody in the first round. Everyone else lets the low, the, the higher division teams start later and makes sense i I think just from a scheduling perspective i would i would give them that i i don't think that i don't think it's the worst thing um it also like gives teams something to work up toward and uh, and i'm you know i feel like those that second round game that's gonna be a big deal for a lot of teams because they're like hey if we win this we're gonna play an mls team or we'll likely play i mean it's a huge you know coming from a nisa perspective and the the league's still so new if they pull an mls team in the second round that's just gives more eyes in the league. And I know they're having a little, you know, a little trouble selling out games and everything. So huge, it's a huge priority for them. It is. No, and it'll, it, it's, it's oftentimes a, a, a franchise changing, maybe not financially, but just to be on the same field as a major league soccer team just gives your, gives your team a little credibility and, and lower division teams definitely use that in their, their marketing for sure. Yeah. And it's interesting to see, I, I feel like the rise of the USL championship and just the USL structure in general, like it has me excited for maybe, maybe a deep run by, by one of those squads. And you never know. I'm, I'm very excited this year to pay attention from start to finish for actually my first time. Like I, I've gotten involved later on in the tournament when it was, you know, nearing the finals, but now I'm very curious to see how it goes from, from start to finish. So I thank you for coming on, Josh. It was, it was, really interesting to hear about some of the history and your take on it. Um, we usually end rooster and the villain with a, a rant, anything you want to get off your chest soccer related. So I feel like I snuck a, a few, a few of them in there. Uh, 
with it with in, as it pertains to you know people thinking MLS teams don't care about the tournament or sure. the, but no, I, the whole I podcast is really ranting, so it's, <laughs> it's like, yeah, I, 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 I have I have spent a lot of time in sports talk radio, so I'm not uh, it is not a foreign concept to me, but it is uh, I I really I like I said I think the the tournament is on its way up. It's it hopefully will eventually get the you know it's just due and, and we'll, I think as soon as they get a sponsor, like a, like a title sponsor, you get a little bit more exposure to the tournament. And uh, if they continue to put it on platforms that people can watch, I think that's, it's only going to get better. So hopefully, hopefully this is a step in the right direction this year. <laughs>